And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? Doing very well. I feel very far away from you now. The uh, potting in person, you do get or or doing four and a half hour live shows in person. Uh, you do really appreciate that the in person dynamics of really of really all aspects of life, especially podcasting and feeling when to uh, end a point or start a new point and just reading body language is uh, you get really spoiled with it. But other than that, doing well, catching up on some sleep. Uh, having some, don't know what to do with my hands right now that the draft is over, but I am really enjoying it, but overall doing very well. We spent a lot of time together over the last week or so, a lot of time together. It was wonderful. Uh, on Saturday into Sunday, I got about three and a half hours of sleep because we went out and celebrated a little bit after the draft. It was great, but I had an 8 a.m. flight. So I got home. I slept immediately upon getting home. And then after I was staying up for a couple hours and eating some garbage, I took another nap. <laughs> my fiance was like, are you going to sleep all day? I was like, in total, it's like eight hours. Yeah. Like, I got yeah. back to my normal sleep schedule. So I think all of us kind of powered down a little bit on Sunday. Draft is over, but we are going to do a couple more draft shows this week. And also, just to kind of a bigger picture roundup for folks, we're now kind of in our off-season cadence. So this show being an exception because we recorded a bunch this this weekend, we are not going to have shows on Tuesdays moving forward in the off season. We are going to have shows every other day. We'll still have four shows a week coming your way in the off season, including when I am on my honeymoon, including when Nate is on paternity leave, all of those different things that are coming over the next couple of months. You are still getting four podcasts a week from us. Tuesday is the only off day. We are going to start doing weekly mailbags starting this week into next week. So just consistently be sending us questions. Keep because them coming. We're, we're in a place now where every single time we do one, it's fun. Every single time we do one, it's worthwhile. And we're just going to keep doing them. It, it, we love them. You guys ask such great questions. And I think it's a great way to kind of populate the feed in the offseason. So athleticfootballshow at gmail.com. I do not remember the phone number off the top of my head. I will consistently be tweeting that out if you guys want to call us. But just start sending in questions because we're going to chip away at those things literally every single week so four day a week cadence in the off season monday wednesday thursday friday the thursday show will be football gm all the way through the off season this wednesday tomorrow if you guys are listening to this on tuesday is the final episode of prospects to pros for this season and then obviously those guys hopefully will be back with us in august and when the draft season starts to kick up again our uh, hand signals when we're talking about the the mailbag, like not, oh, you know, some people will see us on YouTube, but it's like, yeah, no, send them in, send them in. But it's, uh, it reminded me of Always Sunny and Mac. It's a self-sustaining economy. You know, it just, <laughs> it's it's self-sustaining. That's, that's exactly what it is. You guys, we say stuff, you send us mailbag with questions on it. We answer that stuff and then you have more questions. Self-sustaining, self-sustaining economy. But also the, the nap thing. 
I'm not a big napper. Uh, I was in college, but now post-college, I just don't. Uh, I put it this way about how tired I was Sunday compared to going in and how excited I was for the draft. Had a 6 a.m. flight Wednesday going into Kansas City. So woke up, you know, 3.30 and woke up. I was barely even asleep anyways. Uh, didn't even nap on that plane. Just went powered right through. We did everything. The flight home, three-hour flight, two-hour, 40 minutes, whatever it was, slept every minute of it. Just no headphones on either. Just put, kept my sunglasses on, leaning against the wall, leaning against the wall. Also, I was probably the one that knew they had the latest flight uh, Saturday night based on our uh, alcohol consumption for those who drank in our group. So anyone that was amongst our group, you could tell who had what time but what flight. And I definitely had the latest flight based on how I acted on Saturday. We had a great time. It was We had a wonderful time. We had a wonderful evening. This being one of the last two kind of draft-centric shows that we're going to be doing, this is a show or a written piece in some version that I've done really the last like four or five, six years. I always think it's a fun way to recap the draft. We talked about some quality of classes in our minds, the best fits that we saw, some guys that, why did this person drop? Mm -hmm. You know, really analysis about the draft picks themselves uh, on the show that ran Saturday into Sunday into Monday. On this show, I want to talk about the messages the team sent us based on what they've done this offseason. It was smokescreen season heading into the draft. It was lying season heading into the draft. There's no more lying to be had. The teams have made the picks. They have shown us what they think of the players they selected and of what they are. So on today's show, we're just going to run through the messages teams sent us with their off-season plans. Some of these we've touched on in some way, shape, or form. That's what happens when you do 12 hours of live draft content during the draft. But hopefully we're going to tread a little bit of new ground as we've taken a couple steps away from this, removed from it for a couple days, and can kind of look at it with a bird's eye view. Yeah, that uh, yeah. there's a couple that I hinted at. or We've had maybe you know first-base discussions on a few of these teams and maybe what they're doing. But it's nice to sleep on it, whether on a plane or in my bed. And kind of really just put it all together, put it all together. What exactly all these moves were made. And, you know, not everything's complete. We haven't even hit training camp yet, but it is nice to see where arrows are pointing personnel wise and team makeup wise and potentially philosophy. One thing that I wanted to address, like the Chargers didn't draft the DB. I don't want to use this show as a way to talk about the Chargers telling us they're fine with their DB room because there are a lot of veterans available still on the free agent market. Now that we're into May, you can sign guys and it doesn't affect the comp pick formula. I assume the Ravens are going to fill five different holes over the next two weeks or so. So that idea of, well, they seem to be fine at this position because they didn't draft anybody. I want to wait a little bit on that. I think we're going to touch on some of that stuff a little bit more when we do the biggest questions that are still left after the draft. And we're going to do that show on Thursday for Friday. So just keep that in mind. Like, well, why didn't they talk about the Raiders not drafting a single offensive lineman? Didn't that send a message? Maybe, but maybe not. So we're going to wait a little bit on team, on position specific stuff a couple weeks, a little bit deeper into the offseason before we make any grand proclamations about that. But let's get to some grand proclamations. We're going to start, Nate, with a team that we talked a lot about this weekend, but again, I think it's still worth revisiting. What sort of message do you think the Buffalo Bills sent us with the draft that they had and the offseason that they had at large? They identified that they needed uh, ways to pivot on offense when uh, they hit a rut with their traditional way or or their untraditional way of traditionally doing things. And they went out and were like, we need to fix this and we're going to fix it. Or at least we're going to give ourselves potential to answer these fixes or these questions that we have been remaining at the end of our season uh, in 2022. So I think how they did that was originally just in free agency. This is why it was one of the 
lower key free agency signings that I was excited about was the Bills. Just the who, what they put together, Damian Harris at running back, just a different mm-hmm. style of running back they've had uh, the last few years. Uh, Connor McGovern, uh, signing him in, uh, as an offensive lineman, interior offensive lineman especially, and kind of a different type as well. I think he's more well-rounded. He's a better run blocker than what they've had. And also now in the draft with Don Kincaid and Osiris Torrance as their first two picks. I think all these signal a philosophical change. I would say full-blown philosophical change. I actually don't want to say I that. I think ability I w- to pivot ability is exactly pivot. right. And I think that's what you're hinting at. And I think that's exactly what it is. It's it's that's This is like the Chiefs too, what they've done the last few years. And uh, is that it's not so much like, okay, they only run 11 personnel. You know, the Rams were able to do that a few years ago when, when they were clicking. But most teams, it's just that when the defense has an answer for you or on defense, the offense has an answer answer for you or is making your life hard, do you have the ability to change what you do and do it well or at least efficiently and effectively? I think that is what the Bills are realizing. They said the spread it out way, speed, 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 speed is kind of hitting a rut. We don't have answers just through pure Josh Allenism or our receivers are out there. So let's get just better players overall. doesn't matter the position and the ability to kind of change how we go about offense when we need to. Sometimes sometimes you could just throw 102 miles an hour and it doesn't matter. The batter can't hit it. And, but sometimes you just got to throw off-speed pitches over and over. And I think that's what the Bills are trying to do here is ability to go smash-mouth football when they want to. And I think that – I love that. I really do love that. It's identifying that this wasn't working completely We or we're hitting a rut. We're hitting a hard point every season. This is a way to change it up and to do it. I think they are doing it in the right way. They've tried to do it just by personnel and formations. I mean, going back two seasons, maybe at the end, remember at the end of the 2021 season, we yeah. were talking about this when they were leaning into those jumbo looks a little bit more often, but it almost seemed like three kids in a trench coat pretending to be an adult. That's that's exactly it. It, it was, they were, they were doing the right answer, but it was just like, eh, we don't really have the guys for this, even though we have to do it this way. Uh, I can't remember oh, the guy's name for Bojack Horseman. It's like Vincent Adultman. Wait, wait, yeah. wait, Princess Caroline. Princess Caroline is dating three kids in a trench coat. That's yes. what the Bills offense felt like at times. And oh, now it seems good. like they're actually embracing the adult version of this. That was just their three receivers. That was Cole Beasley, Isaiah McKenzie, <laughs> and Devin Singletary standing sitting on top of each other. They used a decent amount of 21 personnel last year. 21. Like, Reggie Gleilum is such like this weird kind of piece where how do you define it? But if you look at pure 12 personnel, the Bills used 12 personnel last year on 3.7% of their offensive snaps. Dead last. Yeah. Dead last in the NFL. It was about a fifth as often as the league average. 18.1% was the league average. They were at 3.7%. That's I think you can make an argument based on how Dalton Kincaid develops that 12 personnel has a chance to be their best yes group of players this season so yeah. that's going to take a huge uptick I mean, dawson knox is somebody they spent 31 million dollars on guaranteed i mean this is somebody they're invested in he's going to be able to play in line for them and be that guy and i think kincaid is going to be their slot receiver yep. first and foremost and then they're going to live in 12 personnel even if it's a little bit of an untraditional way to do it way more often than they did in years past and you yeah. combine that with Osiris Torrance being a 330-pound interior offensive lineman. Ryan Bates is their starting right guard right now. They signed him to that free agent deal last year where they matched the Bears' offer to him. Ryan Bates weighs about 300 pounds. Yes. You know, this, And I have to assume they'll battle it out in camp for this spot when you spend a second-round pick on a guard. In your mind, that guy probably wants to start for you. So it seems like 
you move Bates into that swing interior offensive lineman role. You have a 330-pound guy in Osiris Torrance come in and play right guard. You combine that with the 12 personnel, we're going a different direction. Where we're going, we don't need passing. That kind of feels like the the new look bills, and I appreciate that as kind of a an embrace of pivot points within your yeah. offense. What is your? How can you solve different problems? And I yes. think that they yes. tried to That's... build it this year, where we have more answers to different problems, being able to run the ball consistently yeah. more often, but also just having a quick answer in the passing game, having a true slot receiver, not having to shuffle between. You know, Sh- Khalil Shakir is a rookie, Cole Beasley, Isaiah McKenzie kind of miscast. So I really do think they're trying to find answers they didn't have in the past. And I'm excited to see how it plays out. Yeah. And that I, I love what you're talking about with like, even when they wanted to have a slot guy in there, even putting Stefan Diggs there. And this is statistically Diggs is still a good player. Uh, it's just that he was a little less of a player from the slot. And so now you're kind of making him, you're neutering him a bit. You're making him 80% as effective, and then you're also putting someone else on the field that is not as effective, just period, on the outside. So you're kind of making both things worse. And I love that you're mentioning that Kincaid is basically their their slot receiver. And this is I, – I really look to the Chiefs and um, kind of having more of these two – you know, Knox isn't a traditional Y. He's more of a shield blocker and everything. But, guys, it's it's – it's flexibility to change what they want to do on offense as far as like, hey, we're going to run the ball here or we're going to be heavy. But also just those guys are both flexible receivers and you can move them and, and change things up. You can be in the same quote unquote formation, but have guys in different spots. And so I think everyone just a lot of coaches come into their opening press conference and I'm not saying they did, but coaches and they go, we want to be multiple on offense. The Bills are actually doing that. They're going, we can be multiple. We can actually do this stuff very well. Or we, the hardest thing to do to a defense is stay in the same personnel. Hopefully, you can stay out of the same formation, but stay in the same personnel grouping, and you don't know what we're about to call. And so I think the Bills are going, we can just stay in the same 12 personnel. We can go up-tempo. We can throttle it back. Or we can even put more tight ends on the field. I know how sexy that is for everybody, but it is for me. Uh, this really gets me going, guys. Um, but it makes their 12 personnel more dynamic. But they can re- realistically go 13 personnel or 22 with whatever, however you consider Gilliam. But also their other tight end that they had, Quentin Morris, played for 30% of their snaps last year. And he's more of that traditional why. So if they want to go 13 personnel, and this is exactly what the Chiefs did to the Eagles in the Super Bowl. 13 personnel, you're matching with Nickel because you were worried about Kelsey. In this case, they'd be worried about Kincaid. Well, let's just pound the freaking rock. That's why we have these bruiser guards. So now we're not just running spread zone, spread zone. We're under center, just pounding away on you. Last year, the Bills didn't run uh, 13 and 22 too much. I'm including Jumbo in here. They were the second highest team, uh, second highest rate of Jumbo of any team in the NFL last year because they just, they want another blocker and just, you know, they want to go big. And that was their way to go big. Uh, they weren't, so they only passed about 15 times of uh, what I'll call big personnel. Last year, 22 and 13, 10 of those 15 passes were successful. They are 40% running the ball, uh, success rate running the ball of those form- or the personnel groupings. And now they got better, and they got better players to do it. So I think they're just going to lean into that identity where they're able to attack that way. And I, I just like it. I really do. Uh, I, I think they're upgrading the slot position. Last year, they're, they're second-best, most successful offense in the, in the NFL, just behind the Chiefs. But if they just targeted the slot, they were the seventh best, which is still pretty good, but it is a drop. So it, it's just they're making everything better by just kind of almost simplifying everything. And I really, really like I just kind of the identity shift that they might be taking. Let's stick in the AFC East here. My next one is based on what they've done this offseason. The Patriots think that Bill O'Brien is the biggest offensive addition that they will make. 
from last year to this year. And they think that having an adult in that room is going to be the biggest change that they can undergo because their first three picks in this draft, Christian Gonzalez, a corner, Keanu White is an edge rusher, Marty Mapu is safety linebacker, whatever you want to say, versatile yeah, piece right. on the back end, the, the go, likes of go. which they absolutely love. And so they're loading up on defense and we're wondering no pass catcher really or early in the draft. They seem to be happy with you know Juju Smith-Schuster, Tyquan Thornton. You know, they brought in Mike Kosicki, him with Hunter Henry. They still have Kendrick Bourne, but no real splashy move at the pass catcher spots. We still don't know who's going to play right tackle for this team. They didn't draft a tackle high in this draft. So is Riley Reef that guy? I mean, they really did not get aggressive. That's a couple different positions on offense that I think you can construe as positions of need. So I think their plan seems to be we are going to try to have the deepest, best, most flexible defense in professional football this year. And if we can bring in Bill O'Brien and get our offense from unwatchable, unwatchable. I think is the adjective that I would probably throw out there. No fly. They made the no fly list last year. They, they really did. If we could take our offense from unwatchable to merely forgettable. Yes. We think that we could be a playoff team even in a loaded AFC. Can we be the 15th or 16th best offense in football and be the best defense in the league and have that be our path toward relevance? It, that that feels to me like the message that the Patriots sent over the last couple months. And as far as how their defense is, I totally get it because I freaking love the Patriots defense right now and it's going to be it's going to be a fun one to watch, but yeah, as far as offensively, I think this is a little bit of a bet on Tyquan Thornton. And and I think what he brings to the table, being a vertical guy and actually a lot more physical than you would think for a, a guy that's built yeah. a, built like a pole, um, like he, he's built like my pinky. Uh, but it's, it was not good last year. I mean, no. they, they he struggled last year, but the whole offense struggled last year. So the I almost thing. hesitate to judge what he was. As, I mean, he's was, hurt obviously. So yeah. being hurt early in the year and then being slow to come along, you combine that with entering the worst circumstances possible with the infrastructure and the yeah. oversight this year. Hopefully they're going to take several steps forward at all of those spots. And he's going to be a more productive, useful player. Yeah. Their, their whole offense was just like, it felt like it was stuck on day two install where it was just, there's no new ideas, no new wrinkles. It might've been actually. And I think actually there's been some stories that have come out basically saying that. Uh, and that's what it felt like when you watched him, I was like, okay, what else you got? And they put a lot on Mac Jones's plate like too much where he has to get so many guys in order. It was the first time I've ever seen a Patriots offensive line look disjointed where they're going to the wrong guy. You know, usually again, it's that mental, mental loss or a physical loss. It was too many mental losses for that, for that unit for guys that have played significant amount of games. Um, even last year, something simple like this. And I'm not just saying this is the end all be all, but you can just look at how many RPO pass attempts Mac Jones had last year and, and compared to the year before under Josh McDaniels. And Josh McDaniels is not like a heavy RPO. He's an guy. RPO merchant. No, but he was, he was. 14th in RPO throws, uh, pass attempts in 2021, according to Pro Football Reference. So just kind of giving you a nice pain in that picture. 31st last year. And I know it was fewer games, but it was 19 compared to 31. So it wasn't even the same ballpark. And it was a couple, a couple fewer games. So just even something simple like that, just that's what Mac Jones is really freaking good at. Uh, that's what people forget with that Alabama offense. It was RPO heavy offense. Um, they also just the ability to diversify their run game. I, I, you know, I'm not the, I'm never going to, I won't lie and say I'm like a huge, huge fan of O'Brien's schematic ability, but he is a, ca a competent play caller and play designer, and which is a huge upgrade of what they had before. Talked about this before. Going from bad to average is not a bad thing, <laughs> um, even when you're talking about play calling. So just diversifying the run game and tying play action with your runs, I, I think it's going to be just an easy improvement, but they're, they're betting that that's the big improvement. 
Next one here. I want to talk about the Broncos a little bit. With Sean Payton coming in, I think there are reasonable questions about what does this team expect out of itself this year? You know, do they think they're going to be good? You know, they made the Russell Wilson trade. How happy are they with Russ's upside this year? Like his viability this year? Do they think that it's time to kind of take a step back, slow things down, reevaluate where the rest of the roster is? There hasn't been an ounce of that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> choo-choo. <laughs> choo-choo. Pull steam ahead. <laughs> Look at what they did in free agency. They take a huge swing on Mike McGlinchey. Him $50 million guaranteed, $17.5 million AAV. Ben Powers at guard, four yeah. for 51 with $28.5 million guaranteed. Zach Allen, three for 47.8 with $32 million guaranteed along the defensive line. So some big swings in free agency. They get into the draft. They don't have a first or second round pick because of the Russell Wilson trade. You think, oh, maybe they'll accumulate some more draft capital and slow play things a little bit. <laughs> they traded up for pretty much every pick that they made. It's unbelievable. Okay? So they trade up for Marvin Mins at the end of the second round when they didn't have yeah. a second round pick. They trade a future third round pick to move up for Riley Moss, the corner from Iowa in the third round, who presumably mm-hmm. has a chance to start opposite Patrick Sertan this year. So pretty much every single move that the Broncos made of any <laughs> impact or meaning yeah. over the last few months, they had their foot on the gas pressed all the way to the floor. So even, even like a breath, I thought they would take over. Maybe train Judy and get some more picks or, or nope, nope. Let's give Judy the fifth year option. I exercised <laughs> his fifth year option today. So... Uh, The Broncos, there's going to be no slow playing what the Denver Broncos are this year. And maybe we shouldn't be surprised. Based on the way the Saints operated every single year under Sean Payton, year in and year out, just refusing to acknowledge. I'm not saying this is wrong, by the way. I'm saying it's a little bit surprising. But just refusing to acknowledge any contemporary understandings of sequencing or value or how you understand draft capital, all of those things being like, you know, we could probably be pretty good right now if we want to be. So yeah. that seems to be the mindset that the Broncos have adopted. I, I Circumstances gonna, be damned. Uh, yeah, I thought they were going to, even if it was not like, not like a hard reset, but just like a little bit like, okay, we, we made a splash. Just take what's, a what's, breath. Yeah, take a breath. Yeah. And no, 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 no. This <laughs> Sean Payton was like, no, what's, no. Hey, sacrifice the future. We're winning this year right now. We'll deal with it later. We'll always deal with it later. We'll pay off the credit card later. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I, I'm with you where I'm not saying it's wrong. And I understand in for a penny, in for a pound, I guess, you know. Okay, well, Russell Wilson didn't work out his first year and we kind of gave him the keys to the kingdom. All right. How, how do we, how do we kind of like, mitigate that oh let's hire hire a head coach that has more rank on him and, and give him the keys to the kingdom the keys to the universe actually so i think that's just how they're this is their team right now this is their franchise this is what they're they're full steam ahead really just you can just sum it up by their free agency they're like okay they're just still paying guys and then just how they went about the receivers going from no we're not moving on from these guys we're actually adding to them with marvin Benz. they might still trade a guy you don't know yeah but- i wonder we, we kept talking about judy being the guy i wonder well, now if now it's- we get to a place where is tim patrick the guy that might be available for the red it's- price if a team makes a call because now you have three guys that you've committed to you know, yeah. judy with a fifth-year option patrick and sutton on the extensions and use a second round pick on a guy that you traded up for mm-hmm something has to give it feels like something, something does and it's patrick might be a guy that i was gonna say the previous regime it's still the same front office but 
the previous iteration of the Broncos brass liked a little bit more than this iteration of the Broncos brass does. Yeah, which is funny because I I thought Peyton would love Patrick. <laughs> Maybe that's, he does. Not, this is all speculative. Like a, it sounds like a it, movie. Uh, but it, <laughs> Peyton loves Patrick. Uh, but I, I did. I actually did think that. Yeah, again, we're speculating here, but... That's why I'm curious. That's why I wanted to see who moved. Like it was like, oh, oh, he didn't like him, or or ooh, they really didn't think he. They thought he was, you know, easy to get rid of, or or we didn't need him. It was too much, too much of a good thing. So I'm just, yeah, it's just funny. They just kept adding, injected more talent into that room, and it's like, okay, let's go for it. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Next one here. It seems like the Titans wanted their new era on offense to start as soon as possible. It's like when Harry met Sally. It's like when, when you want to spend the rest of your life with someone. You, know, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. When, when you want a new era on offense, you want that era to start as soon as possible. They went all offense in this draft, including a trade up for Will Levis. This is something we talked about a little bit on the draft show. This idea of, okay, all of these murmurs about the Titans wanting to trade it for a quarterback mm-hmm. and specifically wanting to trade it for CJ Stroud, that they liked CJ Stroud. When they missed out on CJ Stroud or the opportunity to draft him, did that mean that they were out on quarterback or was drafting a quarterback, the idea of drafting a quarterback almost as important as finding the right guy or the number one guy on your list. And it seems like they wanted a quarterback in this draft. Yeah. And my main, I understand that. I understand wanting to kind of set off, you know, the next stage of this and say, all right, we got, a really good offensive lineman. Now we have a quarterback. You know, we we have the next couple of years to build it. The cupboard was totally bare on that side mm-hmm. of the ball, and we might as well start going in on it. My question here is the sequencing of it. It's like, okay, yeah. you we're probably going to have a high pick next year potentially. I mean, we never know about this, but now you have Will Levis in the building with Ryan Tannehill already there, so you don't have to start him right away. So is the benefit of allowing Levis to get some snaps, be in the NFL, be in your program for a year? more important than 
essentially burning one year of a rookie contract and looking for your quarterback next year when he would have been able to start right away for you. So essentially just sequencing when you wanted the quarterback yeah. to play and when you wanted to find him. That was always going to be my question with this team, and we got the answer on it. Yeah, I I, I kind of figured if they didn't take one of the first, they weren't taking one at all. So that was that's my what, thought too. Yeah, and the, well, and of course we – well, didn't assume Levis would follow the first round. I thought somebody yeah. would t- stop the stop the bleeding there at some point, maybe in the early twenties. But um, we, we even when talking about the Titans earlier this offseason, talking about kind of what the crossroads they are as a franchise and everything, and we kept going like, man, that offense, whew, that's rough. Hey, the defense has got some players though. Hey, they got you know they got Simmons, they signed Shear, like there are a couple of d- interesting DBs, and so it's it's. It, like made sense that they injected some life into their offense. Um, they desperately needed the help. Of course, uh, I thought Skaronsky is a great, fantastic addition for him, uh, a way to start their O-line rebuild. And I think because of that, I'm fine. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say I'm totally fine, but finer that they went Levis in the second round. Cause it was like, I, I was terrified of dropping any young guy into that situation. If he had to play what I thought that offensive line of weapons would be, it's like, okay, that makes me feel a little 5% better. Um, I just think, Levis was the, an opportunity they had to take. They're kind of saying, well, rather one in the hand, two in the bush. Like, yeah, we might suck this year, but Vrabel might ruin it for us. And we win six, seven games. And now we have to sacrifice more. We might not get one of those top quarterbacks for next year. And year's I think draft. a reasonable concern with how Absolutely. many pieces they have on defense. That's what it is. I think the defense, and they still have Tannehill. They still have a defense. They still have, I mean, I know Derrick Henry is, you know, now adding the carries and everything, but they still have him. Like, they still have, like, a workable roster. I don't know, I should say workable, but kind of workable, not totally in the doldrums. When your quarterback is the 15th best quarterback in the yeah. league, even if the rest of the supporting cast is horrendous, which the rest of their supporting cast is yeah. horrendous, there's still a shot that he is going to bring you to a level of competence that puts you in the danger zone of missing out on what is going to need to be like the first or second or third pick in the draft in order to get one of those guys. When you have the 15th best quarterback, it it shouldn't be a surprise if you end up as the 16th best team, you know, or the 18th, you know, like, and you're right there in the teens again, but you're not in the lottery, the true top 10. And you're you're the sixth best defense in football next year. And Ryan Tannehill is enough, even with no receivers and a shitty offensive line to bring you to the 24th best offense. Right. Right. That that still can land you somewhere in the dangerous middle. Yes, and I think that's where that's why I understand going for Levis and everything. And honestly, the uh, comparisons that I've made to him to Tannehill actually is I think more aesthetically, it like makes sense in my brain that he ended up there. It's like, oh, you're just the animorphs of each other, you know, just like <laughs> going from one person to the next. Uh, so I totally understand. And you know, the Tajay Spears kind of uh, pick in the third round was more like okay, a really fun running back, but he does have an injury concern, different style, but at least he's fun. I guess. <laughs> I guess and it's there, like, there, it's there, talent. He doesn't under contract after this season. Exactly. And so, and even, you know, he's been banged up too. It's like, so now you have a guy that it's not a huge drop off when we're starting someone that we just signed off the streets at running back. So how they went about it, it makes sense as you kind of talk through it and understand where they're at as a team, especially on defense. That's what you have to focus on. They still have Tannehill. They still have Rabel. They still have a defense. And even their offensive coordinator, who I am blanking on his name right now, Tim I Kelly. really like. Tim Kelly did really nice things in his last year with the Texans. I was actually surprised they moved on from him. So it's, you know, they actually have a guy that's done some decent things as a play caller. So overall, I, I get this more than maybe I did maybe two days ago. So here's my argument for why I think this makes sense if you're looking at the timeline. Yeah. So next year, Levis will be in year two. I don't think he should play a ton this year just because I don't know how beneficial those reps are going to be. Yeah. Let's say you get to the end of the year. He plays. I think it's the Ritter plan. 
Yeah, four, last, five, six uh, games, four games, maybe, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, right yeah, last yeah. four games, last five games, get him on the field, get him some experience. So you have, an, again, an entire year in the system, an entire year in the NFL to the point that hopefully that jump starts what he can be in year two. You have $106 million in cap space next year. And for the most part, your defense, you've handed out the contracts you're going to hand out. Jeffrey Simmons was the big one that they were waiting on. Mm -hmm. So you've got four, five, six, seven pieces that you feel good about on that side of the ball. You have $106 million in cap space. You'll still likely have you know, a top half of the first round pick, maybe even a top five to seven pick. If you can use that on a difference maker on offense and then use some of that $106 million to piece together a starter here on the offensive line, maybe one more receiver. You're trying to make sure that your offense is workable while your defense is still intact. Yep. And threading that needle was going to be difficult if you were going to try to do it two years from now. If you yep. were if you were kind of punting on this season and then in 2025, that was going to be when your quarterback was in year two and yep. you had the pieces around him. So now I think the goal is hopefully now by 2024, we have the resources where our defense is still young enough, yep. good enough. Our offense has gotten to a place where it's workable, where we can be relevant again in the AFC. That's what this timeline feels like to me. It's exactly it. It's putting yourself in a position where nothing feels like a reach. Yeah. You know that. You know what I mean. Like it kind of going. Okay, we need another offensive lineman. We need a receiver. And what if you're at pick seven? And it's like, okay, well, oh shoot, a bunch of quarterbacks are going early. Other teams are going to edge. Hello, Marvin Harrison Jr. Like you know, like they might fall into that. Yes, and that, you're putting in a position where it's when you if you address the what will be glaring holes on their offense, it's going to be next year. Now you don't need the quarterback. You can still address the other spots. So again, it, it just, as you talk it out, it, it makes more sense what, how they're going about just because of, I think how the situation presented itself, you have options, you have paths you can go on as a team build, uh, as you're building a team, I should say. And they just picked this one and I, I get it. You know what it reminds me of where the bears were a year ago, where yeah, we're yeah. freaking out that they hadn't added anything to the offense. We didn't yeah. get a receiver, they, their offensive line still had all of these missing pieces. And over the course of a year, when you have all of these resources and potentially if you're Tennessee, let's say you're picking near the top of the draft and a team needs a quarterback mm -hmm. and you want to move back and you can pick up an extra piece here, an extra piece there, a DJ Moore and a veteran for pick trade. There are still avenues when you have all these resources to turn around the offense in two years yes. in a way that you – other teams have done in the past so that's kind of what it reminds me of and i think that the timeline and the sequencing of it and the way that they're thinking about it is is fine i, I think it does make sense to me yeah it, and i just like that you know they give up a third but they didn't sacrifice all all their future you know to giving move. up like a third they, is not is okay giving up okay. a third is okay to get if, a quarterback if they moved up to get stroud you know they're giving up everything and then stroud is oh my god now they don't have skaronsky now they just have a young quarterback that they're just dropping in a situation with no means to you know some money in and free very agency. likely don't have a first round pick next year exactly if they move up to get that so i don't know i i think they fell into a better plan than maybe they even were anticipating going into the weekend i mean i'm sure they had this in their mind a little bit but i think it just kind of fell into the laps to like okay this is how we're going to go about this two teams that went the opposite direction and had an opportunity to draft a Will Levis and decided that they were okay at quarterback are the Bucks and Washington. So I think the message both of them sent is we're content to kind of wait and see at that position. We're going to roll with this hodgepodge that we have in the room in the short term, and then we'll figure out what we're going to do in 2024. On Washington's end, makes sense. Ownership change, things are in flux. That Making a big note. splash. And, I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense to make a big <laughs> yeah. splash at quarterback right now yeah. because so many things are up in the air. That's fine. The Bucks, 
that seems like a commentary on what they thought of Will Levis more than anything else. Yes. Because with the timeline, again, going back to that, for them, dropping a rookie quarterback into this kind of allows everything else to come together. You know, you have all these other pieces on the roster. You're kind of ready to win right now. So now you're pushing it off even another year into 2024 when some of those pieces are a year older, they're a year more expensive, and then you may be trying to find your quarterback in the future. So their timeline and how they're trying to align all of this stuff, I think, is a little bit more in question now because you have a team that has some win-now pieces, some win-now elements, and has Kyle Trask and Baker Mayfield, a quarterback. Right. It's, it's My two bullet points are, I don't think either of these teams had ownership in their ear about, you have to take a QB. Like, you, you have to take a guy if he's there. So that kind of, one, just because they're kind of, in flux with ownership and the other is the box. Uh, but the, the other is, but yeah, I think that's exactly what, what it is as far as talking just the box is that they might just not like Levis and they just didn't want to take one for the sake of taking one. And when you don't have other pressure putting it on you, Hey, you, you got to take a guy. That's where it's kind of nice to not be forced into a mistake. You, you got to be sold on a guy, especially at quarterback, you know, if there's disagreements about what receiver you took, okay, whatever, it's fine. A second round receiver, what, yada yada. But if you're taking a first round quarterback, you hope there's some consensus in the room, or at least you know it might be a group think, but you at least hopefully you're marching into the same direction together. But that's yeah, both of these rosters are decent. You know, they both have good players, um, and I just think they might have to move up or get creative to find that guy of the future if that if they want to take that next step. But I think they're just kicking the can and the quote unquote wide open NFC. I think they're just going, let's see what happens this year with what we got. We got a good roster. Let's platoon our quarterbacks, basically. That's basically what they're doing. They're just like, we're going to platoon some guys and see what works out. And then we'll figure out that once we like a guy, we figure out how to get him uh, in the future. Both of these teams had kind of similar drafts where they're drafting depth at certain yeah. defensive positions and then <laughs> yeah. interior offensive linemen, which that it's fine. It's fine. Like, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. No. I mean, that's actually, I think, a, a pretty smart way to build your team. Yes. It's like, all right, you know, we're going to make sure that we have answers at these interior offensive line spots after having to roll with Trey Turner and Andrew Norwell last year. You know, yep. we signed Nick Gates in free agency. I think there's absolutely a world where they have three different interior starters on the offensive line this year. That's before we even think about Sam Cosby moving to guard. Like they're remaking that entire group. And then maybe, okay, we like our pass catchers, obviously. Yep. We have an offensive line that we feel really good about. Maybe next year is the year where we can just drop a different quarterback in. We either make a splashy veteran trade or yep. we try to move up the draft, whatever. We're going to try to build the infrastructure as much as we possibly can. And you know, the Bucks are drafting interior defensive line depth and oh you know God. going to get Cody Mock and it's yeah. another guard and so I think that the the patience and the lack of urgency that they're approaching this draft with that they approach this offseason with again fine yeah. you know, n- not a judgment on it but uh, a fairly steady heartbeat for teams that I think some people might have ascribed a different level of urgency to yeah I thought I thought it might be some fireworks factory, and they're yeah. kind of like, oh, no, we're still driving down that path. Well, we'll, we'll get there when we get there, uh, when we make the move for the quarterback fireworks. But yeah, it kind of patience. This is like, I, <laughs> so many of these teams, man, are just like actually doing some nice things or things I understand why they're doing it. It's not, it's easy to argue for, I guess is a good way. Like, it's easy to go, oh, okay, I understand what that line of thinking, which is just, yeah, it's kind of refreshing in a way. <laughs> I saw Washington as a team that could have talked themselves into saying, you know what? We're a Derek Carr away. Oh, yeah. If we go get a Derek Carr, that's our best way to compete. And they didn't go that direction. I don't think it's crazy that they didn't go that direction. I think it's totally reasonable that they 
had a little bit more self-awareness than that where they said, eh, let, let's yeah. still play this a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's a chance that they just couldn't make any big splashy moves because of everything going oh, on with the organization. Yeah. But still. Well, they said Durant paying for a boatload of money. So But also, if Jacoby Brissett gets the same production as Derek Carr this year, I wouldn't be totally shocked or at least in the same tier at way less money. Or, you know, like it's so it's not like the most it's not the craziest like way to go about it uh, as far as like filling up that position. Smaller one here. I think the Browns you know, sent us a message that they may be pivoting away from the run-heavy team that we've gotten yeah. used to over the last few years. They did not draft another bigger running back in this draft, so it's Nick Chubb and Jerome Ford. You know, Jerome Ford sees a baby. Holding down that backfield. <laughs> and then most of the moves that they did make of any kind this offseason have been at the receiving spots. Yeah. They went out and they traded for Elijah Moore. Trade went from down from the second to the third round to do that. Drafted Cedric Tillman from Tennessee in the third round. It's kind of be that big body guy on the outside. And obviously Deshaun Watson is there. I think they hope to be a different version of the offense that they had to be under Baker Mayfield. And I think that the moves that they've made elsewhere are going to get Marquise Goodwin. I think that Anthony Schwartz season's probably over. I mean, they, they, he did not come along in the way oh, that they man, had hoped, but Goodwin kind of coming in and giving him that speed element. I mean, the way that yeah. their receiving room looks right now, with Goodwin being the burner, Tillman being that kind of prototypical outside big body X, with Donovan Peoples Jones now just being your nice fourth piece at receiver yep. rather than being somebody you guys need to rely on. Your shot Elijah, guy. Yeah. Elijah yeah. Moore being somebody that. You can inside outside versatility. He can yep. be your slot receiver from day one. He can move outside if you want to move Mari Cooper into that. I think that's a complimentary skill set. And they sent Jordan Aikens in free agency, who I think is a kind that's of an intriguing player. Sneaky, sneaky yeah. good signing right there. That actually I had to get reminded of when we were pre- when I was prepping for this. That was I'm glad you brought him up because it, they have 15 receivers on their roster right now, <laughs> which is even uh, none of them are undrafted like undrafted free agents either. It's like they had 15 after they took Tillman. That's a lot of receivers and like. All these guys make sense. Like even David Bell, who they took in the third round last year, is a kind of a dirty work guy. Yeah. You know, that is that, you know, the, the power slot, I believe, is a term I like to use. <laughs> the David Bell pick now. Yeah. This is going to be mean. No, you're going to have a It, it kind of feels like the Niners drafting a kicker in, in this year's draft. We, we didn't pick until the third round. We don't have that many picks after this. We need one of these guys. We yeah. just need a receiver. And now a year later, they're looking at the roster, looking at David Bell and being like, yeah, we still need receivers. Yeah. We, we still need some guys. When they see Cedric Tillman going next to David Bell, they're like, oh, that's what the kind of big ball winner is. <laughs> David Bell was like, at first, for, he had some first round hype for a little bit. And it was, I, I remember watching him be like, oh, this guy's like a three or four like at best guys he's a he's a he's like an ugly dirty work guy i don't know what you guys are seeing he's not the, elijah he's not the moore receiver. now being their potential slot option when david bell was last year yeah is, is a little it's bit nice. of a different level of juice associated yeah. with that spot now it's exactly all the but what, what you're saying though like the kind of the grand point of this is this they all kind of slot in nicely to each other not mm-hmm. no pun intended but just the all these guys the z's the x's the shot play guy down with people's jones they you know, we just were joking about Bell, but he is him being like your number five blocker is not the worst thing in the world. And then you got Goodwin as the deep threat guy, or at least battle it out. They got a good offensive line. David Njoku just keeps ascending. Like he really is turned into a nice three down wide tight end, which is kind of fun watching his development over the years. And yeah, I, I think they're just, they're making themselves multiple, or at least they can, they're adding a true, true speed to their team with different answers of how they want to use their receivers. I, I like what they did. And even defensively, um, oh my God, I have his name written down. So I don't butcher this. Siaki Ika from Baylor. Yeah. 
Uh, he, but he's another plugger. Um, like I like that build through the spine. They need this. They need guys to shore it up. You have the juice on the outside. Now what's, what's shore up the inside. It's kind of funny body types that they're going with. It makes me a little, little less, little more bearish about the Tomlinson overpay, uh, when they could get uh, another no- nose plugger, a, a run game plugger in the third round and on a cheap contract. But I kind of like it that they got two guys that they can plug in there and really, really stop the run if they want to go that route. Like I like how they've gone about this offseason. The best version of this team is really good. Yeah. Oh, they can, there, there's a there's a window where things hit and it looks awesome on offense, especially. Obviously, it depends on what you get out of Deshaun Watson this year compared to yeah. what you got out of him last year. That's the biggest question remaining. But even the guys they went after on defense, you mentioned Ika and just yeah. being a big body guy they can put next to Dalvin Thompson on rundowns. Yeah. But Isaiah McGuire, the pass rusher that they drafted in the fourth round out of Mizzou, yeah. he, people like him. And that is the one spot where even after going to get Okoronko in free agency, they needed another outside pass yes. rusher. They needed another edge guy. And if he can come in and be that third guy in the rotation for them and Ika can be... A, really give them some beef up front with Tomlinson to stop the run in a way they couldn't last year. The back seven of this defense has a lot of good guys on it. I mean, that Mm -hmm. that position group is really solidified. So the defense with a defensive coordinator shift, a little bit of a philosophical shift in the interior Mm -hmm. of the defensive line, you build the rest of the depth out on that group. And then you look at what they are on offense. Again, the 10% outcomes of this team at the top end of it. Yes. Pretty good. good. Even in an AFC, it's pretty good. It is. It's it's easy to talk yourself into it. Again, I'm I'm right there with you. Uh, even like JOK, who came along very well last year, and how they're using him, keeping him clean now. That's why this is the the uh, booster effect that having guys that keep these linebackers clean or keep the speed guys clean. Even a Miles Garrett, you keep these guys clean and let them wreck the stuff. That's why it's nice when you kind of have these other pluggers. I'll just use the term, but other kind of dirty work guys because they let the the pretty guys look pretty, and that just it, it, it's good for everybody. So yeah, they they've had a good offseason. The Juan Thornhill signing, I mean, there's just a lot to like uh, with with what they did on offense and defense. Speaking of teams that might be good, the Lions. The message they sent to us is they think they're going to be good. <laughs> they, they, they definitely do. <laughs> this draft, and we talked about this uh, so much this weekend, and I don't want to belabor yeah. the point, but I think that this is definitely something worth bringing up one more time. When you spend your first rounders on a player with G- Jameer Gibbs's profile, and then an off-ball linebacker, when you probably could have used another body in the front seven, you probably could have needed another, used another pass rusher. We thought corner was going to be a position that they addressed fairly early on. Even the defensive back that they eventually drafted, Brian Branch is like a very specific kind of guy where he plays yeah. a very specific kind of role. And Sam Laporte at tight end is the same idea where it's yep. like, oh, if we get one more pass catcher at tight end and if we get one more running back who can be a dynamic player for us and more reliable than DeAndre Swift was and we get one more off-ball linebacker to drop into this thing, you know, it, Based on what we were last year, like these are the little things that could be little tweaks on what we were last year, not we need to kind of keep building and pivot a little bit more than they did. This feels like they're just adding on to the current trajectory that they were on rather than saying like we're decently far away. We need to make some more substantial moves. I think there's a lot of danger in thinking that way, and I think that a lot of the time you look at NFL teams, and I think the Bills are the perfect example. Where we looked at them coming into last offseason and we thought, hey, they can get a pass catching running back and these one or two more very specific sort of things that could really put them over the top. And then you get to the end of the season and think they need a lot of stuff, man. Yeah. And so there is danger in this. But again, I wanted to bring that up one more time that I think this Lions draft tells us that they're in a position where they think that they have a chance to compete right now. 
they were adding a lot of what right I or wrong. Like were, yes, they're adding what I felt were I think all of us feel is luxury picks when they're still in building block mode, uh, or at least maybe the middle blocks of your pyramid uh, of your team building. It's actually even funny as I've sat here and thought about it is that I uh, I said this on Barnwell shows I actually almost understand the Camp- Jack Campbell pick uh, at 18 more than the Gibbs pick uh, in the weirdest way, just because of how the linebacker draft was. It's a, it was a bad one. It was a huge need, even if they signed. But that's another thing. It's resources spent on Anzalone and all that. Um, but, and David Montgomery. And David Montgomery. I know. And so the draft after the first dozen picks, it, it's – Especially in this draft, is I I understand what teams are going for. It's like I wanted I want this type of guy. Who cares? There's a huge bell curve on this draft. That right here in the middle, there's a lot of a lot of a lot of bodies in the middle of this draft as far as talent level. But it just I don't know. Just even some of the arguments they made for the Gibbs pick was oh well the Jets and Patriots liked him. It's like okay, and like he might not be there at 18, but it's like you're you're arguing with yourself. It feels like, and I do like branch and I do like Laporta, and I do like Gibbs and I actually do like Campbell. It's just that where they got them, their philosophy behind them, how rich, even Laporta being tight end two in this class. I like Laporta a lot, but I don't know. There's guys that I thought could maybe do more for them long-term, especially, but it just felt like a team that, like I said, the luxury picks, these felt like moves that like the chiefs would make. You know, a couple of years ago where they're like, yeah, oh, we're winning 12 like games that. every, 12 and games every, the, who cares? With, then remember when the Chiefs drafted a running back in the first round to kind of yeah. be that pass catching element that would give them a little tweak on what they were already doing. And then a year later, we're like, oh man, the Chiefs need another pass rusher and another corner mm-hmm. and they, they need another receiver. It, it, this happens so fast. So let's play this timeline out. Okay. Okay. The after free agency, the uh, current outside starting corners for the Detroit Lions are Emmanuel Mosley and Cam Sutton, most likely because they traded mm-hmm. away Jeff Okuda. Emmanuel Mosley's on a one-year deal. He's had trouble staying healthy. Yep. Isn't it so easy to imagine a world where Emmanuel Mosley gets hurt this year, Jerry Jacobs is thrust into full-time starting duty, we get to the end of the season, and we think, man, corner's a real need for the Lions heading into next year, huh? Mm-hmm. And they could have just taken Christian Gonzalez. Yep. It's not even that far off to, to imagine something like that. Or let's do it this way. The receiver run happened right after the Lions picked Jack Campbell with the 18th pick. Right now, Marvin Jones and Josh Reynolds, they're slotted to be the outside receivers with Jamison Williams and Amon Ross St. Brown holding down those two spots. I can understand the Lions with Ben Johnson and with the current regime thinking, we were top five offense last year. We were top three offense last year. We were fucking rolling. We don't need to overspend on receiver because if we just kind of bottle what we were doing last year and drop in little seasoning and complementary pieces to it, we'll be even better than we were a year ago. It is not a far-off thing for me to imagine. At the end of this season, we're looking at a Lions offense that kind of plateaued at times and you know hit some roadblocks that we didn't see them hit last year and think, God, they really could use another outside guy, huh? They could really use just like one more receiving threat. Like, Wouldn't this team look really nice with Zay Flowers just kind of you know being able to move him around a little bit? Or wouldn't this team look really nice with Quentin Johnston, whoever of those guys hits in that run that went off? That's not far off for me to imagine. And that's my concern here, yeah. is that when you're I, making those little luxury complimentary cherry on yes. top picks, you forget that there wasn't as much ice cream down there as you thought there was. A lot of whipped cream here. <laughs> that's what it feels like. Uh, the the corner argument is exactly it. Like, even if you, I mean, Emmanuel Forbes or Christian Gonzalez, like either one of those guys, even later 18, reach. it wouldn't have been a reach at the time. Joey Porter Jr., one of those guys. And again, I'm not getting into the whole like premium position thing. It's more just... They need it still. You're like you said, Emmanuel Mosley's only on a one year deal. Like, and even just, yeah, it just didn't, 
it just felt like that made a lot of sense of where to take a guy as far as where those corners were slotted to take it, their talent level, you know, first round or late first round types, much more than like, oh yeah, let's get a luxury pick, a luxury rotational running back that'll probably be on the field for 15 snaps. Um, I don't know. How many games for, do you think Emmanuel Mosley has played over the last two seasons? Two seasons? Okay, Wait, so 34 go. games. 18? 16. Oof. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. That's 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 it. And that's fine. If you think Jerry Jacobs or, you know, yeah, Will Harris or whoever you're going to spot in there and because those guys played for you last year, whatever. But it's just again, your your needs are constantly changing in the NFL. Always. So when you're when you're in a position where you're taking the best player available, taking the like the Eagles for example, taking the best player available at a premium position where yep. you're always going to need more of them than you think you do is probably the better way to steal yourself from worst-case scenario outcomes than it is building it the way that they tried to build and- it. And Lucas Van Ness is who went a pick after, a pick 13. Like, yes, he is a project type that is more of a long-term bet, but you're in a spot to take that. That That's a, a, a better bet to make, I think. It's like, well, he's not ready to play this year. It's like, you guys think you're like contenders this year? Okay. Like, you know. They, I that, think they do think that. I think they do think that. And I think I look at them more as like a, you know, 10 win team, you know, like make the playoffs, maybe win a game, but I don't know. It's true contenders. They just have too many holes, I think, at this point in time. So it's just. That that's what they really just were betting. No, we're betting this year as opposed to maybe looking at the two, three year window of their team. All right. Next one here. Let's stick in the NFC North. We don't have to do a a ton on this because, again, another team that we've talked about a lot. The Bears, I think, have really made a conscious effort to balance the present and the future. Mm -hmm. And that is the message that they keep sending us over and over again. The trade itself from one to nine and the haul they got for it is a perfect example of that. Rather than getting the most picks you can out of that deal, I want to make sure that I'm getting DJ Moore back as part of this because I need an answer on the quarterback. I need the requisite receivers to extract the information I want out of this 2023 season. Darnell Wright in the first round combined with all of these high upside guys in round two and three on defense that is that combination of it for me. Where yep. it's like we need a right tackle. We 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 need a right tackle. We did not over want to overpay for Mike McGlinchey in free agency or any of those other guys that were available. We need a starter there. We found one that wasn't an overt reach at that spot. But now as we get into the meat of the draft when we have some more picks after these trades we've made, let's take some swings on defensive guys because our defense is two years away. Even if you're spinning it optimistically, it's two years away. The offense, we need more answers now. So this is a team that hopefully is pretty much set at most of their spots on offense. Roshan Johnson is a complimentary running back. I think he's going to get a lot of run there. Tyler Scott is a maybe eventual Darnell Mooney replacement, but hopefully your wide receiver four heading into the season. Mm -hmm. And then you combine that with having the 2024 first. You know, they have another first round pick next year. They have a 2025 second. So just trying to balance this, making the offense as good as possible in the short term, but understanding that we want to put ourselves in really good positions in each of the next couple drafts, in each of the next couple free agency periods to make sure that we're still building other elements of the roster at the right pace. And I think that they've done a good job at that. They had, you know, they had a lot of money in their wallet, but they didn't burn a hole in their pocket, which which I really liked. I really... Honestly, I didn't, uh, I'm not, you know, preaching to the choir here or pandering to my to my co-host here is I liked what they did this entire offseason this draft. Like I at the very least would look at this like as an A minus offseason. I the think the process they did. is where you want it to be. And that's it all is. that I asked for. After the, the, what the last regime was like, all I want is to feel like 
you're making these decisions yep. in the right way for the right reasons at the right speed. Yeah. The D, like it just gave me like the DJ Mora still I'll say this again it was I think that was the flourish of that trade where I was like oh that like that like that the fact that you're thinking that way that that was a part of this trade rather than just going no we'll get a pick and, and no no you we'll need we'll the draft players. the guy Every at a certain point, you need the players, but they you don't to want to stretch yourself to do that. Nope. Right? You nope. don't want to put yourself in vulnerable positions to say you need the players. And so I think that again, it's about the balance, and I think it they've is. done a good job of balancing it. And and they got Nate Davis, and I was like, wow, they didn't go after one of the tackles, but I liked it. Like all these tackles, we talked about so much this offseason. I was like, wow, they they all hit the free agency for a reason. They all have blemishes. Like if they overspent on Caleb McGarry because Chris Morgan coached him before, I'd be like, ah. I don't know, you know, I don't know if he's worth that much money. You know, now you're handicapping yourself and it's the opportunity cost of not being able to address it down the road because you spent a whole bunch of money on it. So yeah, I, I don't know. They they straddled it really, really well, where I think they're this team's gonna be feisty this year. And now we and we also get to see, you know, there's no I don't say there's gonna be arguments on fields, but like last year it's like, well, he did this as a runner. Well, he still doesn't do this as a passer. It's like now we can get some answers yeah. of him as a passer. Second year in the offense with Luke Getze, who has shown that he can he can be creative and adapt for his personnel. So really like I, I like what they're piecing together. They're gonna to be feisty this year, potentially, yeah. and they didn't leverage themselves to do it. Yes. They didn't stretch themselves too far to be feisty. And yeah. I think that is what I'm, <laughs> I'm optimistic about, right? Too far like, from, yeah, the, the leverage themselves from too far from being feisty. I, I love that. That That's exactly right. Because you still have all the draft capital next year. You still yeah. have a lot of cap space heading into next season. So, and just trying to be relevant and trying to get answers, but also understanding your timeline and having the self-awareness to do it. I, I think it, there's a Un- lot to be said for that. Understanding where you find your building blocks. And usually that's the draft. So now we take our... The, hopefully our right tackle for the next decade. You know, now we get the defensive tackles that we hopefully one of them will turn out. Hopefully both of them will turn out to be okay. But you're getting guys that will be on this team and have chance of upside as opposed to just placeholders, just because you could spend the money or just because you can use those uh, resources to get them. And on top of it, guys like Roshan Johnson, Tower Scott, like those are good. Like, I think they're going to have good roles on this team that uh, I really liked the Johnson pick. And I think he's a great team first guy. And it'd be a great, great, great number two for, even if they want to upgrade from him, he might be, end up being your number one. But even if they want to upgrade him from the future, his role makes a lot of sense no matter what. Useful. And I, I like that. They, they had a very useful offseason with getting building blocks like Darnell Wright. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase, Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. 
shopify.com slash maze. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sticking with the top of the draft teams at the top of the draft, another one we don't spend a lot of time on because a lot of oxygen ink spilled on them over the weekend, rightfully so. The Texans sent us a message that they are done toiling in irrelevance. Yeah. We can hem and haw about how much they spent to go get up and go up and get Will Anderson, but this is a team that walked into this draft and said, We're gonna get a quarterback that mm-hmm. changes the face of our team on offense, and we are gonna get a guy that we think can be an all pro player every single year, year in and year out. We're gonna get building block players on both sides of the ball that have people talking about us, even if you can argue with the value and the way that yeah. we're going about it. And I understand it. Yeah. I do too. Uh, for where they've been, especially the last couple of years, I, I understand. After shooting for 75s on Madden every single time they had a chance to, trying to get yourself a couple of guys in the 90s, even yeah. if you had to spend a little bit to get it, I understand it, even yes. if I think that there are reasonable concerns yep. and reasonable questions to be asked about the way that they went about it. It was rich, but it's again, it's where they're at. It, like you said, yeah, they're no longer. They don't want to just keep sitting and spinning in circles in the middle. And I, I like it, getting actual guys that could be needle movers on both sides of the ball. And I'm glad they went with a QB early on because originally it was going to be, oh, they're taking a defensive guy at two, and then they might not go with a QB this year. They're just going to trot out Davis Mills. I actually think even though maybe not all the pieces are long-term pieces, I do think it's a decent situation as far as offensively to drop a rookie QB in. They've checked a lot of boxes. A lot of stuff that you are like, you're not scared. We're going like, oh, he's going to get his ass kicked. You know, oh my God, uh, oh, this is this is terrifying. Like what, really? The, the center's going to get beat every play. So even the one hole that they had on the offensive line, they drafted Juice Scruggs. It was a little bit of a reach, but it's still a starting caliber center, I think. And, but just also and I understand that. Receiver. If that's going to be the reason you're making a reach, is think like, oh, we need a center with a quarterback. Like it, this is a guy that is, it's a big hole. The rest of the offensive line together. come together. Like if you're going to reach at certain spots for certain reasons, I understand that being the reason. Yep, absolutely. I, I like that. I always argue that, that. Like, I like when a young center drops in with a young quarterback and they build that chemistry together, like a catcher and a pitcher. Um, but I, I, I like that. You know, the other guys they have in the line, the vet receivers, even if they not, aren't all needle movers, it's nice to have vet receivers that know what the hell they're doing. He, like, CJ Stroud's not going to have to worry about those guys running the wrong routes, Robert Woods and Noah Brown and stuff. He's not going to have to worry about these guys. Dalton and, Schultz. And Dalton Schultz. They're going to be right at the right spot. It, it's, it's not a bad thing to be reliable. And when you're a quarterback that is learning the speed of the NFL, doesn't matter how good you are, 
having reliable uh, reliable options on the outside and a reliable offensive line makes your job easier. It's less to think about. It's less. It's less. Oh God, is this guy going to get his depth? I don't know. Here I'm throwing. Now it's a pick six, and everyone's yelling at you and laughing at you. I think that's it's it's nice by almost being average around him. It makes me more optimistic about all of it because they also can move on from those guys when they need to upgrade. But it's not it's not bad placeholders, I guess is a good way to put it for where if they want to upgrade the rest of the offense or team. I think that's totally reasonable. You don't want CJ Stroud's reps this season to be negative reps. You yes. don't want them to be neg- a negative experience because he's in such a bad situation. By going out and trading for Shaq Mason, by going out and signing a Robert Woods, by getting Dalton Schultz that one-year deal. They've done a lot of work to make sure that CJ Stroud's experience this year is going to be a negative experience. That's scar tissue we talk about every so often. I think that they've done a really conscious effort, made a really conscious effort of ensuring that that's not going to be the case. Talk Here's about bad habits. Ha- oh, I'm sorry, real quick. Talk about bad habits. Remember the Justin Fields Washington Commanders game? It was like, even though he was trying to do the right thing he can't so it's it's just working out or doing anything if anyone's worked out or played a sport before if you do a drill wrong that's not a good that's not a good rep it's the same thing with being a quarterback and playing in the nfl so i just you go too far down the road in a negative way and i think that they've done a good job of that here's my concern though okay and again let's fast forward this clock a year yeah we get to the end of this season and CJ Stroud really shows us some stuff. You know, see, man, like he's really did some good stuff. He, they put him in a decent spot and it's promising, but we need to get to another gear. We really need to get to another gear, especially with our pass catching options. And we were a six and 11 team. We're going to have the seventh overall pick in this year's draft. And, you know, maybe a Marvin Harrison Jr. falls to us or we can really find a difference maker of their pass catching spot. Ah, oh, shit. We traded that pick to the Cardinals. Right. That's my, right. that's my concern. That 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 is again. If you fast forward a year, yep. some of the stuff that we can run into. That's what I'd be worried about. And, and the Cardinals, I'm sure, are happy. Like although the, we're painting, I'm painting right now an optimistic picture of how uh, how this year can go. You still are starting a rookie quarterback. In they the have NFL. the second worst. They have the second highest yeah. odds. They have the number one pick in the draft next yes. year. Oh, I know. <laughs> so, I, I, you just look at even like a tankathon one two. It was Cardinals Cardinals because yeah. of who the Texans gave up. So good for the Cardinals, by the way. Who who had a great weekend, <laughs> great week just overall as a team. Very quickly, Cardinals. We know we got a long way to go. That yeah. that is the message yeah, that the Cardinals sent, the <laughs> and that is the message they should have sent to us. Yes. So yeah. I think they did exactly what you want to see. Couple are, more here. They, they they know what they think they know. <laughs> That's another another quick one. If we just want to run through a couple quick ones, yeah. uh, the the Packers. We are who you thought we were. Yeah. yeah no yeah, matter yeah. who the quarterback is, drafting Traits. a traits based defensive lineman in the first round, and then taking some swings on like mid tier complementary offensive pieces a little bit later in the draft. Mm-hmm. So there's. Both of those teams, I think, you know, you know what you think we are. That that's what we think we are. I think it both is. of those apply. All right, a couple more here. The Falcons are all in on this weird, interchangeable, <laughs> kind of specific offensive identity that they've started developing for themselves, and I think you like it. I love it. <laughs> uh, do I do I support? I've talked about this several of these shows over this past week. Don't know which one was which, so I'll just say this past week. Uh, all We're standing together. around which bar in Kansas City as we also yeah. had more of these conversations. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, when you're, uh, do I condone taking a running back in the top ten? No, I don't. I'm not, I'm not going to like lie and say I'm like a tough football guy and knew, know better. But do I condone like building an offense that uh, with a coach in Arthur Smith that I think can get the most of all of his pieces and truly do positionless football? Oh hell yeah! Uh, I think this can be a lot of fun because of what. They have shown in the past with lesser talented players or even with their talented players, the Kyle Pitts of the world, even Cordero Patterson, Arthur Smith got the most out of and using him as a running back and a Swiss army knife. 
Now you're getting Bijan Robinson, who is a way better running back and doing the running back things, but also just as good as a receiver. He has better hands than Cordero Patterson. Cordero Patterson's played like a decade as a receiver at the NFL. Uh, and a better route runner. Not as explosive, but that's a, that's a whole different story. But also just these guys, all of them make sense. And when I've seen, there's some complaints that, oh, they should have gone JSN at eight if they're going to use Bijan as a receiver. Different type of player. That's not the player that they use on this types of offense, for better or for worse. They want these kind of big blocking types that are kind of the intermediate guys, the Drake London, even the Matt Collins of the world, these bigger body Drake guys. Drake London is going to be the slot receiver for this team a decent oh, amount. Yeah. yeah. And Pitts. That, yes. they're, they're, That's how they see these guys. They're all interchangeable. Like, uh, there's some of the best run plays last year was Pitts lined up in a nasty split, so like a close split to the tight end and blocking a D end and kicking them down, or, or it was a pin pull. Like, they everybody's going to ask to do, be, to do everything. They can go pony personnel with Tyler Algier and Bijan Robinson and make, like, pick your poison and, and go empty. They can go with Jonu Smith and Kyle Pitts, and Jonu's lined up one, one spot, Kyle Pitts is the other, Bijan Robinson is the other. It's positionless football. It's and I mean that like sincerely. It's not just an idea that you say in the press conference because I actually do think Arthur Smith can do this. So I think Bijan is just the final little exclamation point of this. And I, I, I most guys that say they want to do this type of stuff, I'm like, oh yeah, whatever. We'll see. We'll see in week four when your training camp ideas run out. I think Arthur Smith is going to like like this is going to be awesome. I, I really do. That I'm very bullish on what they can do, especially on offense. It's the Desmond Ritter show. <laughs> they, they made no other moves free yeah. agency draft and Desmond Ritter is going to get a chance to be the guy for them this year I think they have built an offense or even if he's not the guy even if that third round tag where they can play it at their own pace and mm-hmm. it doesn't work out you get into the next offseason they're still going to have 63 million dollars in cap space do you go make a splashy move for the right veteran quarterback if he's available. Like, what is if we have to go get a guy, the rest of the offense is in place and ready to go. That was always the plan. Yep. And they've done it to an extreme yes. where they've been very methodical about the way that they built every other piece, like using two, three top 10 picks on skill position players. Weapons. I, I mean, yeah. on, on weapons for this guy. And then you have the offensive line pretty much set to go now. You know, you go draft Matthew Bergeron in the second round. He's yeah. going to slot in as a starting guard for you. And if it all comes together, you're really cooking. cooking. And you need the right quarterback. So if Desmond Ritter doesn't end up being that guy, are they in a position next offseason where they can add any quarterback who becomes available based on some of the financial flexibility they have? The answer is probably yes. Exactly. They, it's flexibility and a possible path. If this works out, holy shit, we just hit the holy grail. A mid-round quarterback. You know, yeah, then like you got they, $63 million in cap oh space God. and you can yeah. use it however you want. They, they have paths. It, it's so much fun. Like even last year when, when starting, Mar- and I'm a fan of Marcus Mariota, so I don't want to get too mean. He, he was not good last year. Uh, so a lot of A lot of spray throws. Yeah, he was bad. Outright bad. And Beyond this, sprays, decision making. I mean, yeah, I, everything. I think oh my god, they, he they cost him like three games. Like, they just, they yeah. were thrilled with what Desmond Ritter was giving them at the end of the season, yeah. and that tells you a lot because it's not as if they were thriving in the passing game with Desmond right. Ritter. Yeah, they went. From, yeah, yeah, they went from below average to average. No, they went from this, the entire season. So Marietta and Ritter starts. They're twelfth in DVOA, twelfth in EPA per play. They were fifth in success rate on offense. Uh, they were ex- one of the most explosive run games, and that's with. Cordero Patterson, Tyler Algier being your running backs. That's with, you know, not 
offensive line. Caleb McGarry would have the best season of his life and it was, you know, above average. Other guys, like they would have fullbacks not even going to the right guy in the run game. And it still worked. They had, you know, they had Mariota spraying the ball. You know, London was banged up a little bit too. Drake London, uh, you know, Zacchaeus. Our guy Zacchaeus looked like an all pro at times. Like, you know, and he had the most, like, when you look at his stats, it's hilarious. He had like 28 catches. And it's like, I could remember every single one of those catches because they were just nothing but big plays. He was one of the most efficient receivers in the league on like a per target basis last and season. An entire league. Any position, I think he was like top 12 in every metric. It you know was who ridiculous. else was, which is really funny? Matt Collins. It, yeah. It's based on where they slotted in within their offense. But, but the fact that both of them are is actually very that's funny. Actually, that is really funny, actually. But, this, I, I just, they didn't, I, two years ago was the Island Misfit Toys. Last year was kind of like half Misfit Toys and a couple toys that we picked, you know, from the premium shelves. And now they're more of those really nice Lego sets. It's not the offshoot Lego set, whatever that that's called. So-and-so blocks. It's like, no, they got the big stuff, the $500 Harry Potter Hogwarts one. <laughs> uh, and so I really, I like it. I, I think that they have. They, you see the proof of what they've done with lesser players, and now I'm really excited to see when they have these premium, what I think are all plus plus players. Because I Drake London was my receiver one last year, and it's so I just in that in that class, and I think he did a real, some really nice things as a rookie. So just really excited to see this whole thing kind of put together. Last one, what message did the Cowboys send us with their draft and with their offseason? In your opinion, <laughs> they they had they know what works for them. They had holes, and they didn't. We're not going to change anything about it. We're going to address the holes that we have, and we're going to just run with it. So, what I mean by that, we need a tight end. They lost Dalton Schultz, so let's get another six five, two hundred fifty pound uh, tight end that's kind of balanced as a blocker and a receiver. Okay, we got Luke Schoonmaker. That's great. Uh, I, I like that. And then on defense, they went with Maisie Smith in the first round from Michigan, a nose tackle, and this was all based off of and and I've. I have belabored this point, but I'm going to keep belaboring it, baby, is that it's that they signed last year. They traded for Jonathan Hankins from, from the Raiders. Then and they had Leighton Van Der Esch as well. They have so much speed on that defense that they were kind of they, – they needed a different body type. They needed a different t- style of player to kind of be their, their guy to shore up the defense while everyone else runs around with their hair on fire. On first and second down last year, so Cowboys' success rate without Jonathan Hankins on the field. So before they traded for him or when he was hurt. They were at 66% against the run, on, so 10th in the NFL. Not bad. Their Cowboys success rate with Jonathan Hankins was at 74.1%. That would have led the entire NFL. The Titans led the NFL at 73%. The NFL average is 63%. So they go from about league average, slightly above league average, to the best run defense in the entire NFL when they had Jonathan Hankins. And I'm I'm saying Jonathan Hankins more time, his name more times on this last two sentences than most people say in an entire season when they watch the Cowboys. <laughs> but that's what how important he was to what that defense did in the second half of the year. So they're like, why not get a really good player and have him do the same role to help everybody else out? I liked it. I really, really like that pick, even if it's not the sexiest thing in the world. I think there's more upside to him, Maisie Smith, but also just his role and what he'll fill short-term and long-term. I think it was just a, a really smart decision for a defense that I think will be you know top five in the league easily, especially with Maisie in there. Essentially what Will McClay said in the draft room, the video came out today of them debating whether or not to take Matthew Bergeron or Maisie Smith with that pick. Matthew Bergeron would have been depth, you know, somebody that would... That would have been two years in a row I nailed that pick where I said, what's the surprise pick of the first round? It would have been Tyler Smith last year and Matthew Bergeron this year. <laughs> so me and the Cowboys see the same thing with our offensive alignment, which isn't the worst thing, I guess. Uh, they, they've done a decent job of finding those yeah. guys. And Will McClay said you know, the 
Maisie's going to give us something right now. We haven't thought of a defensive lineman this way in a long time to be drafted in this range of the draft. He he would give us that right in this moment. And I do think that he was like the last piece they needed on defense for everything to really come together. They brought back Donovan Smith. They bring back LVE. They have some depth at their corner spots. You know, in the way that they didn't last year, they trade for yeah. Stephon Gilmore. They trade for Brandon Cooks. This is a similar situation to what we talked about with the Browns. It all clicks right. together here. Yeah. I'm pretty excited about it. Maybe we got Stu going. I mean, the personnel. I'm excited about the personnel in Dallas. We will see yes. about the offensive play calling, the offensive yes. leadership, all of that stuff with Mike McCarthy now taking the reins there. But the personnel itself on both sides of the ball, hard not to look at that and feel pretty good if you're Dallas. They, the, the, the glaring needs were another receiver in a corner, and they addressed that in ways that I thought were pretty creative way to, ways to do it without sacrificing too much and Brandon Cooks and Stephon Gilmore. So I like that. And it's kind of funny that the cherry on top for the Cowboys is kind of one of the least sexiest positions in, in all of football, the nose tackle, the, the interior defensive lineman. And that was their cherry on top. And I thought that, I thought that was awesome. I, I really like that way of thinking of we're going to take this unsexy position, but that's going to make us so much better as a whole defense. couple one-liners here. Ravens, less than his wheels up, baby. That's the message yeah. they're sending. They go get Zay Flowers. They go get OBJ. They go get Todd Monken. Yeah. We're in a new era. We are changing the, we are turning the page and it is going to be liftoff over yeah. here, my friends. You like Lamar the runner. You're going to love Lamar the thrower. Yeah, I and think I, that's exactly what they're doing. I am very excited about that one. The Rams. <laughs> sorry. Okay. Sorry. Like the Cardinals. <laughs> we got, sorry. Have they signed a specialist yet? Hold on. <laughs> si- similar to the, well, they drafted a punter. <laughs> they drafted a punter. They drafted a punter in the seventh round. Okay. They I did. think similar to the Cardinals. Rams Two understand kickers. we got a long way to go. How many picks do you think the Rams made in this draft? Oh, my God. Wasn't it like... It was 13. I was going to say 12. Dang it. Okay. The four guys in the fifth round, two guys in the third round. Obviously, the, one of those picks was the Jalen Ramsey trade. Mm-hmm. So the youth movement is underway. And I, they signed an absurd amount of undrafted free agents as well. Oh, oh I mean, God. they are they're in such a weird position, man. Because you look at the teams that signed a bunch of undrafted free agents last year and guys that are churning the back end of the roster. We're talking about the Giants. We're talking about the Bears. You know, teams that are kind of deep in rebuilding mode. Uh-huh. I think that's exactly where the Rams are, but they are not going to admit it. Nope. 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 The, hey, hey, ducks on a pod. Everything's fine. Everything's Things call, but underneath it, it's it's a little busy. They signed two kickers and uh, undrafted kickers in free agency, along with drafting the punter. Signed a long snapper as well. If you look at the roster, it's hilarious. It's just the whole every second and third string guys, like six six round pick, seventh round pick, or undrafted free agent, like every single one. I do like how they did draft a couple of the guys, like the offensive lineman from TCU, uh, Avila. I liked it. It was like, hey, hey. They're not. They're not the going for luxury. Sense. They I did. just think that that's. They're not going. They're not nothing sexy about what the Rams are no. doing right now. No, we are, we got to refill the cupboards, and I think that's the message they were sending. Last one here. Rebuild the cupboards. <laughs> Dolph, dolphins all gas, no brakes. Oh, we'll go yeah. dropping Devin A. Chain into what they have. I mean, they only had like four picks, and they had two in the top one hundred. So they not a lot to talk about with the Dolphins, yeah. but going and getting him is like the last piece, like the big offensive oh. move that they made this offseason and in free agency. It, hard not to like that. They have so much gas. Oh my God. It's going to be so high octane. It's, I, it's again, that was one I, and Dane was like, Oh, I mocked that uh, the whole time. And when it happened, I was like, yeah, that, that was, that's some fan fiction I can get behind because this is, there's going to be so much speed on that team. That it's going to be fun no matter how it shakes out for the rest of the year. 
I think that's really the last one I had. I, I like the Steelers draft. We talked about that this yeah, weekend. Yeah, really like the Steelers. They're the, yep. they're the draft that kind of make you go ooh a little bit. Same Bengals, with the Seahawks. But kind of I don't stock again the yeah, defense a succession I plan. I think would be the best way. to I play think it. that's probably it. But I don't think any like overt messages sent yeah. there. Like the Giants again, the team that they went out and got a corner. Yeah. They went out and got Jalen Hyatt. Stuff that yeah. makes sense. You know, mm-hmm. the Eagles again are who we thought they were. The yeah. moves that they made are pretty much exactly what you would expect. So I, I think we hit most of the teams around the that's league cool. here. I, I feel that's pretty good about it. So don't so don't yell at us if you're like one of the four teams we didn't talk about. We, know, we're going to talk about everybody at some point and in depth, plenty of analysis to come. Don't you guys worry. That is all we have for today. A reminder: Prospects to Pros will be back tomorrow with Dane kind of having his little you know punctuation mark at the end of this entire process. So please check out the last episode of Prospects to Pros for the 2023 draft season. Uh, sincere appreciation for all the work that those guys put in you know, from the time the show started in the feed until we finished the draft process. You know, those guys will be back. Uh, said it to Dane's face on Saturday. Have said it in private uh, on social media, a million other places. Just an unbelievably impressed. Um, all the time by the amount of work that dude puts in, the type of work that he puts in. Um, somebody that Thrilled to have a part of what we're doing. So, again, please go listen to Prospects to Pros and, and give those guys some love for one final show as part of this cycle. Football GM will be back on Thursday with Mike Sando and Randy Mueller. They will be with us throughout the entire offseason on Thursdays. So be sure to keep an eye out for them. One more reminder, if you guys want to watch the draft streams and you want to watch pick-by-pick analysis of every pick for the first three rounds, they're available on YouTube. You can go back and watch them whenever. We had a great time doing them, so you know, please go check those out if you're interested in that. I had an iPad. It was, it was had an great. iPad. They, we they, were drawing they, over some yeah. film, uh, so yeah. go check those out if you want to. Brick uh, killed a guy. That's <laughs> <laughs> if you want to leave a review of the feed, uh, you, a review of the show on Apple Podcasts. If you listen there, we would really appreciate it. Again, I th- kind of think that the draft is the end of like the 2022 you know league season in a way. Like July 20th through May 1st uh, is how I think of the NFL and the NFL coverage. Probably because that's when I don't take a break. Is about July 20th through May 1st. So if you liked that stretch of the Athletic Football Show, let us know. I'd really appreciate that. We were going to do it today, but show went a little long. We'll do it on Friday. Kansas City Food Review will come your way Thursday into Love Friday. It. We ate a lot of meals together. A lot of those meals were very good. Yes. Uh, I actually tweeted that it would be Friday show because I forgot we were doing this. So it works out well. I didn't lie to the people on social media. KC Food Review, Thursday into Friday. So if you want to hear about what we ate in Kansas City and build a little guide for yourself, if you're ever traveling there, we got you covered. It was stupendous. I can't wait. Real I can't good. wait for that segment. Yes. Real good. All right, guys, that is all we have for today. As always, thank you very much for listening. We will talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.